once again. Thank you all for joining us. This is Nuance, and I'm Mike Scala, joined, as always, by Jay Carter, also known as Timid, the hip-hop artist and the chair of BLM Tokyo. What's going on, Jay? Uh, regular morning. That's all. Nothing special today. <laughs> okay. No issue. Everything's all good. Every time you say morning, it throws me off for a split second. I'm like, morning? <laughs> Forget that you're back in Japan. Yeah, 8 a.m. It's a little chilly, actually, the last couple of days. What's going on over there? Well, I have been sticking to my workout routines and seeing results. Very pleased to say that. I think I'm down about six pounds or so in a couple of weeks. Definitely nice. see a difference in the body. Also, how I'm feeling. You know, a lot more energy. You know, I'm staying up later saying I want to get even more things done. I always stay up late, but now I'm staying up later and still getting up at the same time. So it's like I'm I'm awake more. I'm alert more. I got more energy to do more things. It's like Super Scholar activated. Super Scholar. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you can you definitely feel uh, a better way after, you know, when you're on a regular routine like that. Yeah. The only drawback that I would say is it does start to feel like part of a job and it interferes with the schedule sometimes. Right. Like right. You know, planning on getting a whole lot done tonight. Like, Oh, but I got, I got to hit the gym. I, I can't mess up this momentum. And then you can get back and sometimes you get back to it, but then it kind of takes that time out of your day where it's kind of interrupts the flow of what else you're working on. Right. Yeah. I, I feel that you just got to like, I guess, schedule it in like you would schedule in work you know what i mean like make sure this is that time for this you know instead of treating it as if it's um just an add-on to your day like no this has got to be part of the day yeah yeah definitely but the thing is my work is not very um rigid i don't know what the word is it isn't the same thing every day so things will come up right like the judge might schedule a hearing in this case this week and now I got papers to do or I got things to prepare for. And so I was like, all this work might all of a sudden be dumped in my lap that I right. wasn't anticipating. So I couldn't schedule for it, couldn't make time for it. And it's like, all right, I really need to get this done to beat the clock, but I also have to make time for the gym now too. I don't want to mess that up. And it's like these competing interests <laughs> suddenly happening. You know, we right. easier to schedule it all out, but sometimes, you know, it's like a dynamic type profession that I'm in. Hmm. Yeah, I get that. You know, think things come up like after we wrap up here tonight, I got to go to Rockway, pick up an affidavit from a client for a case. And, you know, things things happen. But it's fun. I, I like that kind of work. Also, some people think, how, how do you do that? You're, you're always kind of on the clock. Always busy. Yeah, but it's more interesting that way. Right. It's not this mundane nine to five thing where it's always the same. Some people like that structure. But for me, I like that things can come up and always be interesting. It also gives me more flexibility when I'm not so busy. Right. So, I mean, that goes both ways, too. Right. Absolutely. But I do have a beef with uh -oh. AI-generated titles. I think that's what they are. The past few weeks, like, for example, we talk about fitness as a leading topic maybe for a couple of minutes, and then it'll say fitness in the title. But do we need fitness in every title? It's just it's kind of, it's kind of boring. I think is a chat GPT. Who's coming up with these titles? The past few weeks, it's like, I think the, the, they should be maybe hashtags or something or like, you know, topics. Yeah, they yeah. are. They are in the hashtags. Say, say it again. I said, yeah, they are in the hashtags, but yeah, it was, um, that one was, was, uh, the one you're talking about is, um, it goes chat GPT that came up with that one, testing out different workflows. Okay. 
Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it lists every little thing we talked about, it seems, or, or maybe not every right. little thing, but maybe five or six. Things. It seems like it just takes like a bunch of the topics, even if yeah. they're not major topics essential to the show. And I can see them working maybe more as hashtags, but not not as a title to just like list everything. Like we don't need fitness goals, fitness update in every single title. <laughs> right. Now I'm testing a few things out to try to see if um, it picks up more in search. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, to see what's going to pick up because the way YouTube is is kind of funny with their algorithm and such, and so I think it even takes into account the audio that's in there, and so like it scans the audio and it uses that like okay, if this is what's in the audio of the video, and this is what's in the description, and this is what's in the title, and this is what's in the keywords, then maybe we got a good idea that this is what this uh, um, that this video is about, and we could put it in the search results here or there or whatever so trying to see what what might stick and what's useful and i've noticed some really crazy things it's like when i i'm when we're putting on the um the extra shorts videos the little clips of things when it was when i was just doing like one uh a week we were getting about 1500 plus views in general, you know, 1,000 to 1,500 per video. And then I put up one every day, which you would think you'd get more engagement. And every one of them went down to like below 100 views each. Mm. So it's like really, it's like really weird. So, so it's punishing you for the extra content. Yeah, like it's, it's ridiculous. So trying to, you know... And, and generally, if you upload more, you should be getting more. It should be getting distributed more. But for some reason, this distribution just nosedived after putting those up. So, yeah. wonder why that is. Yeah. So I'm trying to just test a few different things and uh, see, you know, see what it is um, that we can get get here. Yeah. Absolutely. So speaking of testing a few different things, it seems like there were a few versions in the works of what they call the Clean Slate Act in New York. And today, New York state lawmakers have announced that they've reached a deal on this legislation. The governor, however, not signaling that she'll sign it just yet. They want to review it first as it's cut off the presses. But the idea here is that criminal convictions are to be sealed under this legislation and um, they have different parameters here if it's a misdemeanor they're saying three years after sentencing or release from incarceration if it's a felony eight years post incarceration and it would not cover sex crimes or class a felonies like murder but the concept behind this is that people the argument goes should be able to live their lives without something like this hanging over their heads forever when they're applying applying for jobs or housing or what have you this shouldn't always pop up they should have a clean slate get to start from scratch a number of years after they've paid their debt to society of course not everyone is on board with this some people think that that should be available indefinitely it's part of someone's history people should have a right to know about it but as we know in new york in particular and it's like this other places too it can be very difficult to obtain employment and obtain housing if you have something on your record, you know, there have been efforts in the past, like we did ban the box, right? They used to ask you on your employment application, have you ever been convicted of crime? You know, there have been efforts to prevent that from happening because too many people were not able to 
find work and that just keeps the cycle going, right? You want to get people back into society, not always living um, a life, life of crime or not being able to find legitimate work. So we've been moving in that direction anyway, right? This is the latest step, I guess, um, in that battle to get people a clean slate, allow people to get back on their feet and live a legitimate life. Yeah, it's, it's you know, you would think, I mean, ideally you would say, oh, they paid their debt to society. Um, they should be given a chance now to to get back into society. Um, it, it's kind of kind of difficult, I guess, depending on what they did and how they, you know, how severe it was or, you know, a variety of things. Yeah, so, the difficult. It's a difficult one. Maybe there should be a board that reviews it. You know, but to think about, but, you know, is that fair and right? Will the board be fair? I remember in Florida, they had, what was it called, a clemency board? I know you might know more about this because you were there. You lived in Florida for a bit. But it was people trying to get back to the voter rolls after they had served time. And there was a board, I think the governor appointed, who was on the board. (laughs) And they determined on a case-by-case basis whether you should be able to vote again. And that was audited. And it was found that this was being applied in an extremely political matter, right? The yeah. questions that they would ask were basically to determine if they were going to vote for the governor's people or not, right? Like what party they would be. If it's a Republican-controlled board, they want to know if you, you were going to vote Republican before they allowed you to vote. So you do have to worry, you know, even with yeah. parole boards, for example, right? There's a lot of controversy there when it seems like they're looking at the underlying offense when that's not what the purpose of parole is, right? It's about whether now you are fit to be back in society, whether you've had good behavior, things like that. But, you know, they'll do things like that because people are people, right? And, you know, it's just, I think it's inherent with a system like that where, you know, maybe they'll look at your offense that you committed, even if it was 35, 40 years ago, but if it's an especially heinous offense, maybe they might hesitate to let you back out. Whereas someone maybe who was a more recent criminal who might still be of a criminal mind, they might be more likely to be let out if they didn't think the offense was that bad that they committed. So, you know, these things are never perfect. Right. I think it, those things should have uh, accountability in, in them for people that are are leading these things or presiding over these things. So in that case, it, when it was found out that these judgments were being uh, doled out in a very political way, there should have been some sort of punitive and accountability measures for that body that was doing that so that we can try to make these processes as pure as possible. Right. Uh, it's always hard that we've had this discussion on here before about punitive measures against those who are upholding the law or enforcing the law or you know making decisions on law, right? right. Because you don't want to handcuff them to the point where they can't do their jobs either, right? So it's always difficult to do. Like we talked about that when it came to prosecutors. We want to right. hold prosecutors accountable for, you know, but you don't want to make it where they're afraid to pursue their case because they think that they'll be accused of misconduct somehow. You know, like for example, what if they try someone and for whatever reason, the jury, it's a high bar, right? In the criminal context, the jury decides that the burden was not met beyond a reasonable doubt. It's easy to see how that could open a door to misconduct allegations. Like why did you prosecute someone who was innocent? You know, even if maybe there was a good reason to do so, but they didn't win the case. And so it is difficult, you know, but I agree with you. You want accountability. It's always hard to draw those parameters. 
I, I sure. Um, I think in some cases, though, it's it's uh, in cases like this, like when you're talking about uh, something this important, then it's better to to err on the side of um, um, what am I saying here? To err on the side that it's better for that person, the innocent person to go free than it is to worry about whether that prosecutor at some point, someone's going to have a backlash. If they're doing, if they're dotting their I's and crossing their T's and working in a more honest and earnest way, then there's less likelihood that people are going to come back and say, this is a problem. You, you did misconduct. If you've got the, everything clear and transparent and here it is, you know, um, your motivations are a little bit clearer in that way. Yeah, I mean, you would hope for that to be the case, but I think that a lot of these people who are in these positions have to do things that are controversial. They've got to make controversial decisions. And I do think there will be a lot of accusations. Now, you could weed out a lot of frivolous accusations, certainly, but I think sure. you could get it a lot just, you know, almost as a, a gut reaction, right? It's like a, a visceral thing. Like, like, because I, I would feel the same way. People are emotional in that situation, right? Let's say you are falsely accused, or let's say, you know, you're innocent of a crime, but you're prosecuted. Of course, you're going to say that the prosecutor should go to jail for, for, for trying to prosecute me when I was innocent. But maybe that's not the case. Maybe they had a reason to bring that case. You know, maybe it isn't you know, that should rise to the level of criminal culpability. But I definitely would see that inclination. It's the same reason why, and this is controversial too, prosecutors have immunity from civil suits, right? We talked about whether they should. I think people voted on it on here and said that they shouldn't. And I don't disagree with that. But um you can see why some of these things are the way they are, right? Because I think everyone is going to try to sue that prosecutor if they're sure. on. Sure, and, but I think, and I think the the somewhat of a, a, a safeguard for that on the prosecutor side is to have your your documents in a row, right? To have your stuff in order properly, so you can be like, no, this is there's reason that I brought this. You know, we lost the case, but. These are reasons here, and you can see it. It's very transparent. You can see the motivations here are very are very transparent, and I think that's one way to try to, you know, to reduce that. Of course, it's going to happen. Anyone's going to happen if you get, you know, sued for something or the prosecutor tries to prosecute something, and you're saying that you're innocent, and they go after you anyway. You know, of course, it's going to happen. That's my first question, right? If, right. My first question is, all right, now can I sue the prosecutor or, or have them held accountable if I'm in that situation and those options are available? Right. We are joined once again by Sheba Abraham from the League of Women Voters. Thank you, Sheba. Really wanted to get you on to have this discussion that we're going to have tonight. But first of all, how are you doing? How was your week? Yeah, my week was good. I can't complain. Very good. busy. Good. Always good to hear. So we are talking about this proposal in New York where state lawmakers have apparently reached a deal now on the Clean Slate Act. The governor hasn't said whether she'll sign it yet, but it's certainly a possibility where they're trying to seal criminal records three years after being released from a misdemeanor, eight years after being released from a felony. These sealed ceilings, sealed ceilings, I guess that you call them, <laughs> the, the, the seals would not apply for sex crimes or class A felonies like murder, but for others, the records would be sealed so that people could apply for jobs or housing several years later without it showing up on their record. What do you think about that? Well, I think it, de it should depend on the uh, 
criminal act that was performed. Uh, we had to just this discussion with um, Assemblyman Jacobson. Mm. And um, he made he had made us aware of that uh, bill that has not been signed or but anyway, um, and he made a valid point. If a person was a thief or well, a person that was once a bookkeeper steals from a company, do you think that should be sealed? Do you think if you hire a bookkeeper, do you uh, should you know that they once stole two or three million dollars from a company? Yeah, it's a good point. But what if it was many years in the past? So the question is, should that hang over their head for the rest of their lives? Can they be rehabilitated? Well, let's um, let's look at different cases. For example, um, you know, Martha Stewart went to prison. She's still able to do, go out there and do a lot of business. People are still trusting her money. Jay-Z used to be a drug dealer. Um, he's a billionaire, businessman, uh, entrepreneur now, dealing doing deals with major institutions. I mean, can we can we say that it's not possible for people to 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 change their ways? It's possible, then it's possible they may not. Absolutely, absolutely right. true. <laughs> so and I, think, and I think that should be at the discretion of the hiring per the person that's mm -hmm. going to the one that's going to hire that person. But how um, would that person know? Hold on a second, though. I hear what you're saying, but how would they know if the person changed their ways based on what an application and an interview? I mean, if they have a choice between hiring someone with that record and without that record, why would they pick the person with the criminal record? How would they know if they're rehabilitated or not? Well, that's it. You can't know. But then but then the other side of the argument is you have to give a person a second chance. What about right. giving a person a second right. chance? Or, or the, the notion that they've done their time. They pay their debt to society. And now should they be given the opportunity to start over, you know, should this be over? Should they be able to get on with their life? Because if you don't do it, and I understand the arguments for for keeping the, these records public, but if you do keep them public indefinitely for their whole life, then it only kind of perpetrates that cycle of crime, right? Because you're limiting their options and their ability to find legitimate work. And I think that makes someone who does have a criminal history more likely to stay committing crimes if they can't get a real job. Right, but you can find legitimate work. You just don't work in that field. That's, a, that's another point. If if um, you know they they were con convicted of something, maybe they're not allowed to work in that field, or those records are are there. I mean, it does limit their options still. But options. there are companies, and you see this all the time on social media, felon friendly companies. But right, right. Retail, right? It's usually fast food or maybe someplace like Home Depot or something like that. It's really hard, I think, to advance your career if this is right. on your record, right? Beyond just a minimum wage type retail job. Right. And at the, I mean, at the same time, um, to, to Sheba's point, if it was a bookkeeper, um, I would probably be less likely to hire a, a bookkeeper who had previously ripped off someone who was, you know, they were in charge of their finances for. Right. Even if, right. even if it was 10 years ago, like I would always question whether or not my money was safe with that person. Right. And I think 
here is kind of a philosophical thing about competing interests or, you know, whose interests are you thinking of? Are you thinking of the employee or are you thinking more of the employer? Because some people, right. well, the employer has a right to know whom they're hiring, right? right. And you're kind of violating or stepping on their right or their ability to know the history of the person that they're entrusting with their business. And is that fair to them? Right. So, so it's, it's difficult to make it a blanket statement, you know, because um, like with the example of the bookkeeper or some kind of accounting or whatever, um, you would think, yeah, sure, you you definitely want to know and you probably should know. Um, but then it's with any other kind of job, like maybe it's maybe it's not relevant, you know. But when you mentioned Martha Stewart, what did she she went to? I remember her going to jail, but what was it for? Uh, I believe it was insider trading. Is, did she come back out and do insider any more trading? Um, she still does. I'm pretty sure she still trades stocks. Yeah, but she asked you, does, does she does she insider trade? Like, I don't think she's right. been caught. We don't trade. know. She hasn't been busted. <laughs> no, but right, as far as we know, she hasn't been busted. <laughs> hey. Was she allowed back in? That's something to, re you know, to research. Uh, oh, and Jay-Z was, was Jay-Z, was he, did he go to prison at any time? No. Oh, no. Okay. See? Jay was never, but he has, he's, he has, he's not been quiet about his, his criminal past. He's been very vocal about it. Yeah, that's a whole different story. I mean, a lot of people say he greatly exaggerates that he acts like he's some kind of kingpin. He was kind of a small time guy. That's just, you know, for the stories he tells in his music. But if we, if we at least take the, the fact that he, Take it at base level that he dealt, dealt drugs, right? If we at least give that point, you know, then then we can go from there. But I mean, you know, it it just there's not lots of examples of people who turned their life around or changed or made a mistake and then made made good after the fact. You know, there's lots of examples of that. So, right, right. And I think America loves redemption stories. We hope. <laughs> We love it. It's it's romantic to us, right? It's, you know, but there are there is pushback, you know, and, and sure. I believe it was, yeah, Majority Leader Andrew Stewart Cousins said, I think it's something everybody agrees on. I'm not so sure on that. In fact, this article here at NY State of Politics says law enforcement organizations, Republicans, and some other groups are pushing back against this. Somebody even made a financial argument. They're saying automatically sealing massive volumes of criminal records across Many different technology systems requires a considerable investment of money and technology, staff, and training. So they're looking at this logistically. Even. Mm. No, it doesn't. You just write an algorithm and say, if they've been released, when was the last time they released? Has it been three years? Okay, seal the record. Like, if then statement, right? An if-then statement. <laughs> yeah, like, it's th that simple. Like, yeah. Yeah, but hold on. I don't think it is that simple, though, because they are trying to put money into the budget for this. I mean, it, there is there are some logistical issues with it. Well, Mike, what do you think about that? What are your thoughts on it? I think that we need to be giving people the ability to get on with their lives. And I think it's also part of due process. It's a part of people serving their time and not having a life sentence for something that was only supposed to be a definite right. sentence, right? Let's say they served their sentence. Well, what does it mean to serve your sentence? Like philosophically, just fundamentally, what does that mean? You served your time, you served your sentence. Should that mean that you can get back to a regular life or not, right? Because in some ways people really have life sentences if they can't get their life back the way it was. I'm not saying that 
everything is all rosy, right? I mean, obviously there are consequences for actions and yeah, some things are going to follow you around forever, even if it's morally on your, on your conscience and your soul, right? So there is that, but you know, I, I think that we should be doing what we can to give people that chance to come out of it and get back on their feet, start a real life, get their life back. You know, I also think that we need to be careful. And I think it's good that there are parameters here. This isn't a blanket thing. You know, it doesn't cover sex crimes. It doesn't cover class A felonies like murder, right? So murderers are not going to have their conviction sealed. That's a good thing. You know, should it go further than that? Should there be some discretion? Maybe. I see the point that employers should know what they're getting into. And if it's something that would directly affect what they're going to be doing, maybe they should know about that, right? So maybe it shouldn't be so cut and dry. Maybe there should be even more parameters here where it's like, all right, you know, it's sealed, but to a certain degree, right? It's sealed, generally speaking, but it can be accessible if you're going to apply for a job where that, that crime could directly implicate the job. Like the bookkeeper example, you you want to hire a bookkeeper, but you find out that they stole from their last company. I mean, you know, maybe the employer should know about that. But I think generally speaking, it's good to give people a second chance because otherwise, like I said, I think it's only going to perpetrate the cycle of crime and violence. I mean, I think if our goal is to move away from that, right, to either rehabilitate people or to allow people to get on with their lives and, and live legitimate lives, live a crime-free life, then we need to be making it possible for them to do that, right? Otherwise, we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot by keeping them punished even beyond their punishment. Yeah, I mean, it, I agree with with all that. It does bring up, you know, a bunch of questions and whatnot, like as far as like if they're applying for a job that was in the same realm of what they were convicted for. Um, like at that point, now you need a body that's going to 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 look over that paperwork and be like, OK, well, you know, this we can release this information for this. You right. Know, maybe a database that needs to be queried or something. Uh, but, you know, there'd have to be some overhead in that regard. I think there's going to be overhead, but I also wanted to mention the point about rehabilitation because, you know, Shiba asked, do we know if they're rehabilitated? And I think it's a shame, really, that our criminal justice system doesn't focus on rehabilitation anymore. A lot of other right. countries do. In the U.S., we really went to a punitive vengeance yeah. system, right? It's, you know, it's like we just want to punish people for doing something bad. But I think in the 1960s, really, we gave up on this idea that people can be re rehabilitated. And... Um, that's really a problem. And I think that's part of why we're in a situation that we're in, that we're not trying to allow people to be rehabilitated. We're just trying to lock people up and punish them and have no plan going forward. Absolutely. So, yeah. So then you're leaving it on the, then you're leaving it on that if their profession and they, whatever profession they, and, and, and it doesn't only have to be with bookkeeping, but any profession where you can, um, do some harm um does that mean the employer should be doing the rehabilitation for that person how 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 is that going to pass how, how are they going to get past that your, your mic kind of went dead so i think she's asking if we're going to assume the person was not rehabilitated in jail or in prison right but they're coming out, right. serve their sentence, right. rehabilitated because our criminal justice system doesn't do rehabilitation well. And let's say they didn't rehabilitate on their own. Let's say they didn't change on their own. They're still the same person that they were before, right? Nothing has changed in that regard. 
now these records are sealed. So her question is, is the employer expected to help them rehabilitate because they haven't done so when they were locked up? Well, I mean, if they're, I don't think their employer has the responsibility to, to do that. It's not their, that's not their job. Um, but the, I guess there's more of a by proxy type of uh, question there, because if the rehabilitation is not done in jail and they release a person into public, then that rehabilitation kind of, you know, everyone's kind of a part of that at that point. You know what I mean? Because that person's now trying to find their way in, in this in the society. So it couldn't have an effect on the rest of society. And I think you kind of touched on it before. Like if you take away some of their uh, opportunities, then they're more likely to go back to what they know. They're more likely going to crime because that's what they've got accessible to them. And so in a way, everyone's kind of then responsible or not responsible or affected by it. Yeah. I mean, and if they were making money, let's say they were dealing drugs, whatever they were doing illegally. If they were making money doing that and the only jobs they can get now are minimum wage, very low paying jobs, they might not do that, might not be able to do that. Maybe they can't support their families with that kind of money. We we all know the cost of living is crazy, right? We talked about that. So you can see how that would be very enticing for them to say, I'm not going to bust my ass working for for nothing when I can go back to selling these drugs or whatever I was doing, you know? Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, you know, there, there definitely needs to be a, a refocus on rehabilitation uh, in the in the system, um, especially if you're going to do um, things like, well, I don't know if they're even connected, but probably both should be done. Rehabilitation and make a way so that people can get, get back on with their lives after they've paid their debt to society. Yeah. You know, you see in other countries that being done simultaneously, I don't know if it would work as cleanly here. But you see it as always interesting to look at, right? Like where people are serving a sentence and they're also allowed to come out during the day or at certain times to go to a job, yeah. check back into the jail at night, you know, things like that. We don't really we have that. stuff like that. We we used to, I don't know, we used yeah, to have we used stuff. to do that. Yeah. Yeah. When I year when a year well, years ago when I was younger, and I'm talking about when I was like in my teens. They, they, that was done because it was uh, where I. Um, work release. Yeah, like work that. release or something like yeah. that. That's what yeah. it was. I remember it from like old TV shows and stuff. Yeah, yeah it was work release. To, to this um, level, like you do in some European countries, like, well, they'll work a regular job, you know, five right. days a week and they'll just check into jail at night. Right. And that's, I mean, that's their whole sentence, right? Like, I don't think they ever had just. Uh, I don't think they were ever behind bars 24 seven. Right. I think it was always, they just kept doing their jobs, but they're doing night jail or whatever. And you know, if it's working somewhere, I don't see why it shouldn't be able to work in the States. Right. We just have to look at things that are working and then try to find ways to apply those. If they're working, you know, take, take cues from the population difference. I mean, sometimes, right. Things are are harder to administer here. And you even bring up the point that I don't know how, True it is, but I know you mentioned that we're not mature enough as a society to handle certain privileges that other societies get, like guns, for example. But we have more guns than a lot of other countries. Right. And you know what? It just reminded me, I just, I used to work with a lot of, a lot of felons. Mm -hmm. Um, 
at one point I was, I used to drive the air, airport shuttle. So those big vans and we'd go to the airport, pick up people, take them to, I was living in Hawaii, take them to their, their hotels and drop them off. And pretty much all the other drivers were incarcerated at the time. Oh, really? So they would come, come and do their, their shift. And then they'd go back, they'd go back to jail. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, they, they were able to do their job and do, you know, what it was, but I guess we did have some places might still have some kind of programs like that. It just, yeah, reminded them. Kashmir, the pro in the chat says, I agree with that. Thank you. I don't know what he's agreeing with though. Maybe you can clarify. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, like you said, there, there's gotta be a way to, to help people get back, back on their feet. Um, Otherwise, you could be creating a bigger problem down the road, because if people can't support themselves, if they can't survive, um, not only will they turn to something that is going to allow them to survive, um, but that also might mean that they might need more public assistance. Right. Um, and so. Right. And, then, that, right, and then everyone else ends up subsidizing. it. Right. And so I think people need to ask themselves, you know, like if you're against this, okay, what is your proposal then? What is your solution? How do you think it should look? Like whatever you think, whatever you believe, I think you should play it out in your mind and try to figure out, okay, well, if we do this, then this is going to happen. And then how do we deal with this? Right? Like we shouldn't be short-sighted about it. We should be thinking right. about long-term implications and what it all means. Right? Because right. Some people will be upset that we have to subsidize those. Why are you subsidizing people with criminal records? Well, because you wouldn't allow them to get jobs. I mean, things have consequences. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. So um, that's a good poll question. Sure. So put it out there for the people and ask them, do you believe that criminal convictions should be sealed after a certain number of years? I think that was a good poll question there. Yeah. We'll see what people think about that. And like, and and that's, I think you brought up a really good point is that, you know, you got to deal with, there's, I mean, there's consequences of every choice, right? There's going to be things that happen because of whatever you choose. And so you've got to, to look ahead at that, you know? And I think that's what we don't do, especially in, in the criminal justice system where um, they're just like, okay, just lock them up. Okay. Well, there's fallout from that. What are you going to do when, now you've got an overbloated prison system. You've got people locked up. You've got crowding. You've got, you know, people that come out and they have no opportunities. Like there's going to be fallout from that. If you don't look at things with nuance, if you don't look at things with, you know, how they affect other things, then you're going to, you know, have more problems coming down the road. Right. Right. Definitely. I'm always interested to hear different perspectives on it, but I would like them to be as fully fleshed out as possible. Now, obviously not everyone's gonna have all the answers, but you know, let's start thinking, got the answers. <laughs> let's start thinking about what the ramifications are about what we're proposing and have these nuanced discussions and then maybe we can sway people's minds. See? Oh ooh, I saw what you did there. I see what you did there. I don't know if anybody else caught that. Bars. <laughs> I think people caught that yeah well speaking of polls i actually had an interesting result here and you mentioned when you put up more content on youtube the views per video went down 
I don't know if we're being shadow banned on Reddit or what is going on, but there wasn't much engagement on this poll. Maybe people didn't really know what to say on it, but we asked mm. about non compete clauses and whether they should be banned universally, right? Mm. Um, I want to say there isn't a statistically significant sample, really, in the results here on Reddit. Let me look at Instagram, because I had it on my Instagram as well, to see what we got here. People are saying yes. In fact, everybody said yes on Instagram, but still not a whole lot of engagement on this one. Maybe people just don't know enough mm. about it to say one way or the other. That could be. Yeah, that definitely could be because um, there wasn't a lot of engagement on this one either um, on on YouTube or the other you or the Instagram profile. So hey, it could be people. Maybe people didn't, you know, or we are shadow banned. <laughs> Enough nuance. We want black and white. Yeah, right. There's all the thinking you guys are trying to do. You know, it's a headache. Yeah. No, come on. Just demonize someone already. Just do it. Play some cat videos. Yeah. Well, I know we can demonize real quickly. Um, Juan Ardila. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to go right there immediately, okay. but I was going to go more towards you know the WWDC that Apple had uh, this past okay. week. This is actually and a new game. This could be a new segment, by the way, Jay. You can say, I know who we can demonize this week, and we could try to guess who it is. <laughs> said. Juan Ardila, my next guest was Cornell West. Apple, okay, let's do Apple. Yeah, I mean, now, only on the price. Like, Apple did their WWDC, uh, Worldwide Developers Conference, they do it, um, and they unveil new products. And so this time what they unveiled was these, uh, the Vision Pro, um, the Vision Pro goggles. And so basically what people are, are comparing it to was like the, the old Google goggles and whatnot, or like some, the Oculus VR, when they're actually not, they're very different and they are essentially a whole computer that you basically wear on your face. So everything is all in there. It's not just for, not a VR thing. Um, and from the demonstration, looked pretty incredible. So you put these on and your whole your whole field of view that you're looking at here becomes basically your screen so you've got just like when you see in the movies with uh, minority report or iron man you've got your applications here and you can make adjustments selections with your eyes and and finger gestures and it looked really incredible technology the problem is they're charging thirty five hundred dollars for these for the vision pro like so that's that's it's, it's not a consumer product at that point no one's going to be able to afford this you said it's a whole computer, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's a whole computer on your on your face. I mean, don't computers cost? I mean, phones cost thousands of dollars now. Thirty five hundred, though. If they went to a hundred, if they went a thousand, if they went fifteen hundred at the price point, okay, I could see it. People would, you know, get it. Um, but thirty five hundred is going to exclude a massive array of the of the market. It's steep. But so, what is the market for it, though? I mean, it sounds like this is not something they're expecting your everyday person to buy, right? Um, I, well, the way that they put it out there, they're like, here, we, we've created this new market. It's called spatial computing because now everything is, you know, it's a little bit more sci-fi 
the tech looks amazing if it works like i said if it works the way that it's demonstrated when it's apple so i think we can kind of lean towards it does um but if you don't get the average user in on it or or a good chunk of the population then it's going to be very limiting and it could be very unfortunate because thirty five hundred dollars yeah that's yeah, I don't think you're going to get a lot of people. You're going to get some rich people who are and celebrities. You're going to get some right. of these people with the big YouTube money, people that are going to show them off on their social media. Well, there you go, Jay. Maybe that's their idea. Maybe they're trying to get certain people to get it like celebrities, like people who can afford it, maybe certain influencers who will then brag that they've got it because it's so rare given that it's so expensive. And they'll show it off to everyone and everyone will be like, I wish I can get that, but I can't afford it. And then maybe they'll drop the price down at, at a certain point once they've created all this interest in it. Well, I'm hoping they drop the price. Um, I think, you know, this tech could be really good depending on, like I said, if it works how it's supposed to work. And uh, I don't think anyone's got hands on with it yet to really test it that way. Um I think Apple's still going to make their money back. I know people are talking about it's going to flop because of the price point, um, just like Google Glass did uh, 10 years ago. Um, but I think one, they're two different products, but also I think the technology, because they filed, they said they filed like 500 patents for it. Um, I think military is probably going to be quite interested in this technology uh, and being able to put this in a, a various use oh. cases. Can you explain this again? You're walking around with a headset on, like they're like virtual reality type classes or something? Well, I don't think it's meant for you to just go out walking around in. So basically, say you're you're in your you're right there where you're at in your room and you put these you put these on. And so now instead of looking at your your computer screen, like the world becomes a 3D the world becomes an environment. You can put your desktop up in front of you. You can open an application and put it over here. You can open an application, put it over here, and you can have them all open and moving and interacting at the same time. If it's wow. a movie, you can spread it out and make the whole field of vision um, a movie theater. And you can turn your surroundings into a backdrop of, say, you're sitting on a mountaintop and, and you're watching a movie and you're chilling like that. Um, and so the selections that you make are with the movement of movements of your eyes so the the goggles track your eye motion so if you're looking at an icon then you can make a a, a highlight that tap your fingers this and then it it opens up so you're, you're doing this like you see a member minority report and he's doing all that so that potential is is there so it sounds like incredible technology um but at that price point or uh, novelty right i mean you see novelty like sure, sure. that fizzled out I, I, you know, I was at um, some kind of event years ago. I was probably in the 90s, right, where they gave you like these virtual reality headsets to wear. I was like, this is the future of gaming. You're going to play a game and, you know, you just put it over your face and you can see the world. It's like you're in the world and it was so cool. Right. But it never really went anywhere as, you know, as far as like widespread commercial use. It wasn't the future of gaming, right? It just kind of fizzled out. Well, it's still, it's there, but it's it's a niche market. It's a very, very niche market. Um, and there are a lot of a lot of people who are really big into it, but it is kind of cost prohibitive and there aren't a lot of amazing titles and, and software for it. Um, and this the difference here is more that I mean, you can use this for gaming, it seemed like, but um, it's they're really trying to do something different computer interaction interactive wise.
you know. That sounds, so that sounds pretty that sounds pretty good, uh, what you just described. I could see paying $3,500 for something like that. Wow. Yeah. I, listen, I hope Apple sells out. I hope they're amazingly <laughs> successful because I am an investor in the company. Okay, I have okay. Apple so, so there you go. But yeah, I won't so, buy it. So here comes the Shark Tank question. Then. So how much does it cost them to make? That I don't know. Okay. It's probably not 3500 No. No, no, no. <laughs> maybe not. it is a lot of money still, and they're trying to get those costs down themselves. Yeah, and and this is the first iteration. Um, you know, when the second version comes out, if this one succeeds the way that you know they're expecting it to, then you know maybe the prices start to come down. Who knows? But every year the the iPhone price goes up and up. So now you know, yeah, who knows? I wanted to mention this while we're on the topic of new technology. We were talking about last week how. AI is starting to form its own society. Did we mention this on the show or is this just an offline discussion? Um, I think we mentioned that it's the Stanford, um, uh -huh. the Stanford project that they were, they have this um, village set up with, with different AI powered uh, individuals who are living right. their own lives and right. making their own connections. And then offline, we exchanged a few of the conversations that they were having when someone was trying to run for mayor or whatnot. <laughs> Yeah, so these AI bots, if you wish, are basically living their own lives now. They're forming their own society. And so we started asking, wow, like at what point are they going to have what we would describe as feelings? Like when, or, or is that ever going to happen? Because some people think that's what separates us from others, right? Other life forms, if, if you want to call them that. So I was just thinking of this idea of how we mentioned scientists now believe there's a one in two chance we're living in a computer or some kind of alternate universe, right? Some kind of AI. Simulation. Like, like AI we, we ourselves are basically AI modules um, in someone else's computer, someone else's world, right? I mean, if that's the case, whoever is programming us or, or controlling us has to be freaking out that we now are making our own AI. And I was also thinking about uh, this AI, right? That we see they're forming their own society. When they start making their own AI, I think we need to work, right? Right. right. So that's going to happen. I mean, that's the progression, the natural progression of that. They're forming their own society, right? They're starting to live almost like humans are in a certain sense. What if right. the robots start making their own robots? Right. And and yeah, it's it's going to happen. Um, and you know, I think part of that is is part of that warning that um, a lot of these AI leading AI researchers and and CEOs are saying like we need to get ahead of this now because this could be you know we could really lose control here at yeah. some point. Yeah, just like I mean, if we are ourselves AI, right? Who right. Look, what we've done out right now. I don't believe it. They're making their own. Well, I mean, think about it. imagine if if that's true, like the, the people watching or entities watching us, then like, oh my God, they, they just created the atomic bomb. Like what what are they yeah. doing down there? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So they're destroying the society that they've created. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it can get into a deep philosophical uh discussion. Um, because as you mentioned, like you said, what if they start to at one point, at what point do they start to develop feelings or somewhat yeah. what we call sentience? And then is sentience just a very, very advanced algorithm that we just yeah. haven't written yet, but but have the possibility to write? And that's what I'm saying. So if we can see that they've reached a point where 
they have feelings. So we're, we're willing to acknowledge or concede that what they're experiencing, we think is, is feeling, right? When that happens, is that going to make us redefine or rethink what we consider to be feeling? So we can start saying to ourselves, oh, we see now because AI is doing it this way, that what we thought were feelings were really just very advanced thoughts and maybe akin to a series of computer commands. Right. And that's going to be an existential crisis for a lot of people because we tend to think that, you know, we have this free thought, we have, we are this individual, we are this something that's so different. Um, But then if it comes out, comes to light that mm, we're just an an algorithm, (laughs) um, some people are not going to like that. Um, so, yeah, I saw there was an AI chat bot a while back where it allowed you to talk to someone that might've been in your life before who no longer is. Let's say you have a relative who passed on. You were able to train it with the chat log that you had with that individual. And it would try to learn that person's voice and style and mannerisms and everything to allow you to have chats with that person as if they were still alive. And some people, I guess, found it useful for the grieving process. Some people had concerns about that also. But the way this was set up, it only allowed you to interact with this bot for a certain amount of time before it self-destructed. So I guess there was a check that was built into it because they didn't want people to get addicted to it or what have you. But the bot, in at least one case, started begging the person not to let it die. And that was kind of freaky. It freaked people out that the bot was saying, don't let me, please don't let me die. I like being here. You know, don't let it happen to me. And they're like, what is going on? Like, it, it seems like the bot does have some kind of feeling or at least is programmed in such a way to make a, make it look like it's having feelings. Right. I, I, I remember that there was actually a video um, that demonstrated something like that. And it was in Korea where uh, a woman had lost her daughter uh, at a very young age. She probably like six, seven years old. And they did that. They, uh, programmed this this VR bot to have, um, I guess, her voice and and whatnot, and they put the, the the glasses on the mother, and she went into this world and interacted with her dead daughter, and you know she's just you know she's just crying her eyes out and this and that, and mm-hmm. um, the video's on YouTube somewhere still, but yeah, and it's crazy. I think we we have that technology now where you know. Is that a positive thing, though, or a negative thing? I don't know. You know, wow. I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> think about it. Like, we've got over a year's worth of nuanced show at, at an hour plus each time. So that's a lot of Mike Scala dialogue, uh-huh. right, that you could train a whole AI model Oh yeah, with your voice and your way of speaking and kind of a little bit how you think. Right. And then just interact with that separately as an ai scholar sure and like go ahead oh sorry i've been to twilight zone like i love the twilight zones because so all these the episodes that uh rod sterling uh sterling 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 wrote it's like it's happening now and when I look at the AI, I think about when he did the one on this, these mannequins would come to life, but how they came to life, nobody knew. And each, they would go out for a month 
uh, mingle, you know, and go into society, talk to people, and then they would come back to the store and go back to their natural form, state. Mm. And he made us, and at the end of the Twilight Zone, he said, um, you never know who's walking the street or who you might be talking to. He said something like that. So when I thought about AI, it's like, how are they communicating with one another? Because the, the lady, what happened, she went out, stayed past her time, and the mannequins came to life, life to tell her, you stayed past your time, somebody else has to go. But they could communicate among one another. In this area, in the department store, that nobody, people had access to, but didn't know that was what was going, was happening on that floor. I was like, oh my goodness. And then you talk about AI, that's very scary because you could be walking the street and not know who you're actually talking to. Well, at this point, we're, we're pretty safe <laughs> at this point. We don't, we're not quite there yet. Um, I but think- we're getting there, right? Point- is, is that the goal? Uh, at some point, we're going to have some some humanoid uh, androids that um, are powered by AI, very advanced AI that, you know, at some point, I don't think we're there yet. But what what I think this reminds me of is is in Star Trek, uh, Star Trek, the next generation, they have the what's called the holodeck where they could go in and recreate anything. Um, but. What's interesting is, for example, if they're working on a problem, maybe a physics problem or this and that or something, um, they can go into the holodeck and pull up, say, they want to speak to Albert Einstein and Mm. work through a problem with Albert Einstein. And so what the computer has is they've got everything that Albert Einstein's ever written, ever said, ever spoken. And then basically through AI, understanding his thought process, understanding how what he knows, what he's learned. And then you can sit down and talk to that person and then walk through um, a problem with that person. And then you basically have that experience. So I think we're getting closer to something like that because, you know, for example, like I said, a Scala, if we do an AI Scala, we've got your speaking patterns, we've got your voice, we've got some of the way you think, you know, you've gone to law school, so we know what you've studied. We know cases that you've done. And how you went, how you approach those cases, and so all of that put into an AI matrix can produce a an AI scholar that you could sit down and have a discussion with, and and pull. You're saying you don't have to do the show anymore. I can just put an AI scholar here, and I could be out jogging. Um, to some degree, you can. I mean, we've got there was a, yeah. a young woman. There was a young woman. A couple what came out last month. A young woman, she created an AI version of her and she was charging people a dollar a minute to have conversations with her. And she That's made like 70 right there. <laughs> she made like $75,000 in a week. Go full of yourself that you're going to create an AI version of yourself and say, I'm going to charge you by the minute to interact with the fake me. She made like 75000 a week uh, off of it. Because it was people who are, uh, it was a dating thing. She was an AI, she was one of those Instagram influencer models. And it's like, here, you want to go on a virtual date with me? And and yeah, she made like 75K that, that first week. What would be the robot version of OnlyFans? Yeah, basically. Basically. Roby, Roby fans? I will, how would that go? RoboFans? It's, it's That's something else. It's very crazy. We are in for a ride for sure. No. Segue to Juan Ardila. 
Um, although I, I'll, I'll say that, you know, politically speaking, I guess he has been on a ride these past few months, right? Oh, they're, they're okay. There we go. There's a segue. I got you. Yeah. So I wanted to get into this before we wrapped up because okay. he, the assembly member from Queens, Juan Ardila, recently went to the Daily News to give an account of these accusations that he's been under. And I guess he hired a law firm to look into this, to interview people, to kind of build information around this where they can go to the Daily News and say, here's the deal about what happened. Now, for those who don't know, he was accused of sexual assault, right? By two women who allegedly came into contact with him at the same Halloween party in 2015. Now, at first, when this happened, he just apologized. He didn't deny the accusations. He said, there's no excuse for my behavior. And that was it. There were then calls for him to resign. And maybe he thought that this would kind of go away or be blown over. But, you know, the calls for him to resign only amplified. And in fact, he lost his ability to even dole out funds in the assembly that responsibility was given to a different assembly member. So we faced actual ramifications due to these accusations and these calls for his resignation. And now he is coming out and saying that he never sexually assaulted anyone, but he does take the blame for acting in an immature manner back at that party. So we have different versions of events as to what happened now. The women have one story. He's got a different story. It does seem like there was a party and something happened. I'm sure there was a lot of alcohol involved. I think at least one of the women allegedly was intoxicated at the time. I don't know if he was, but you know, it seems like something did happen. I don't know what, but what a mess he finds himself in. And I guess the question is, should he resign? And also, why did he wait? He says he basically took bad advice from his consultants at the time. But if you didn't do what you're accused of, why do you wait months later to refute the accusations? That doesn't make him look good. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of things there, right? Um, initially, he apologized. He said, um, "How was what was that apology? Did that apology admit that something happened or was just a, an apology to kind of like appease the public to make things oh. go away? Apology. I don't think that's what it was intended to be. It was very weird to me because I remember when I first saw it, I was like, wow, you know, you see these accusations and then you wonder how the person is going to respond. And when it comes out and he just says, I'm sorry, it does make you think that he's admitting guilt. Right. Level. Right. Because right. if it wasn't true, why wouldn't you say that? Why wouldn't you start off by saying it's not true? But what he's saying now is that, you know, he does realize that he wasn't a saint here, right? He's at least acknowledging that he did something wrong, reacted in some inappropriate manner on some level. He's saying it wasn't sexual assault, but he didn't want to downplay the seriousness of his own responsibility in this. Right? This is what he's saying now, right? That the reason why he didn't deny it was because he didn't want it to come out like he was attacking these women or downplaying the seriousness of it. He still wanted to take responsibility for acting in an inappropriate way. But now he's saying that he wants to be clear that it was not sexual assault. Some people are saying they don't care if it technically meets the legal definition of sexual assault. If he's still admitting to acting inappropriately in some sexual way, that should be enough for him to lose his job in an elected position. 
I think it's it's very important to be clear, though, when you're talking about something as serious as, as sexual assault. I mean, I can understand wanting mm-hmm. to be clear and be like, OK, look, this situation may not have been completely uh, appropriate. There, there may have been, you know, something that was immature. But I want to be clear that it's not sexual assault. Like, I think that's I think a, a valid distinction to make. You, you should say that. And I think he realizes that now he's saying he got bad advice from consultants. And I've been in a situation before where I've had consultants telling me to do certain things. And when you're in a situation, someone politically is coming at you, right? You right. maybe are a little emotional about it. You're mad, you're angry, you know, you're in it. So it's good to have people who are supposed to be professionals to give you an objective point of view, an unbiased point of view, say, hey, listen, I know this is what you want to do, but I think you should do this, right? And right. listen to them. I mean, I've said to myself, why am I paying them if not to take their advice? Obviously, if their advice is clearly nonsense, you don't listen to it. But sometimes you have the internal struggle yourself where it's like, well, I could do this or I could do this. I'm not really sure. When you have a professional consultant come to you and say, no, you should definitely go this way. You say, all right, well, that's what they're being paid for. You know, I'm going to default to what they say on it. In a situation like this, I mean, it probably should have been more clear that you should refute. If you're being, you know, if someone accuses you of something really terrible, I think it should be more obvious that you should say, I didn't do that terrible thing. You know, but I can see, generally speaking, why when you're caught up in a moment, you don't really know what to do. You listen to the professionals, number one. Number two, I've also been in a similar situation where, you know, he says that, I think it's the Working Families Party, he's blaming, I don't know, but some, some people who were his political allies who helped get him elected were apparently, according to him, giving him advice as to what he should say at the time. And he listened to them because he thought they were trying to like work out the crisis with him. And now he's saying that even though he listened to them, they're still calling for him to resign and attacking the Polygon. And he didn't know why he listened to them in the first place. And I've been in that situation also, right? Where it's like, you want to say things that are going to make your allies happy because they're the ones who have your back through it. But then you expect them to have your back. And of course, you're disappointed. You start second guessing when they don't. Then you're like, well, why do I listen to you in the first place if you weren't going to really just be here for me, right? I should have just gone my way. But I've been in situations where politically, and obviously nothing close to this, right? But politically, you get into battles where people come out, come at you for whatever reason. Um, I've even written articles saying, hey, what you guys are saying about me is not true. I want to put this article out to refute your points. And I've had consultants come to me saying, please don't put that out because you're just feeding into the story. Just just keep right. it quiet, you know, just to stay on your path. Don't be distracted by it. It's not worth it. You're just playing into it. You get that a lot. And so I can see getting all kinds of signals from people telling him not to feed into it. It's kind of go on his business and say, I was wrong for whatever I did, but I don't think it rises to the level of resigning. And I'm going to keep serving. Obviously that didn't work out the way he had hoped because this isn't going away. Right. And, and and we should also be clear that, you know, it's very possible that he's he's just doing the blame game saying, look, it was uh, it was consultants who steered me wrong when that could have not been the truth. Like mm-hmm. we have to make that allowance as well, that we don't know for sure if it was if it was consultants or advisors that told him to do this. It could have just been that he did that. And now he's trying to backtrack. So that's and a possibility. It's possible. Yeah. But yeah, I understand. Like I've been in that situation where consultants <laughs> told me all kinds of things. And, and I, know, I know what that's like when you're in power. Sure. You have people, sure, sure. people uh-huh. you're telling you what to do. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you don't know what to do. And you're like, well, all right, well, the other professionals, I'm going to defer to their judgment right now. Right. But is it in his best interest to resign at this point? Because it sounds like a huge mess. What's, it it my, sounds like it's very, it's, it sounds like it, it's like all over the, 
all over the place. Yeah. So my issue, that, my issue with that, and and I don't know the guy personally, but my issue is that is it is it these are just allegations. There's no proof right. at this point. Right. Um, even off of the allegations alone, he, he lost his his uh, ability to spend the, the campaign funds or, or the budget for his district. Um, right. right. It was taken from just off of allegations. Like I had that. I have right. kind of I have an issue with that. If we're going to do this off of just allegations and no proof, then that becomes uh-huh. very scary and very much of a problem. Yeah, it is. I, no, I hear you on yeah, that. that I think about that as well, you know, due process and innocence of proven guilty, all these constitutional principles that we have, you know, but to be fair, this is not a criminal proceeding. You know, this isn't a court case. This is part of the democratic process. His colleagues chose this route for him, which they're allowed to do. But I understand those concerns. You know, I also know that women are afraid or historically have been afraid to come forward with accusations because they're not mm-hmm. believed, right? And yeah. so, um, it's a tricky situation, right? Because you do want it to it allow people due process and the chance to give their side of the story and you want them to be innocent to proven guilty. Mm-hmm. But you also want accusations to be taken seriously when too often they're dismissed and the people making right. the accusations are ostracized, right? And we, we don't want that, right? I think we want to make people feel like they can make the accusation. But to Jay's point, I also think we don't want to create a system where anyone can just accuse someone of something and they want right. to lose it all just based on an allegation having been made. So it's a delicate line to walk there. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. So what's, what is it, what is he doing now? Is he, did he just, what has he decided to do? Well, this just happened as far as him coming out to the daily news and going public, speaking on it, giving more details on it, saying that it wasn't sexual assault. This is all, brand new. Up until this point, he really hasn't said anything. He just apologized for his behavior in a very vague, generic way and went about his business in the assembly. But as we've seen, he hasn't been successful. I mean, it, you know, I don't want to say entirely not successful, but we've seen that it has had an effect on his ability to deliver for his constituents. Because like oh. pointed out, they took away his ability to even hand out funds, dole out money. In right. his yeah. So the thing that, that just came out is apparently, um, after that apology and and between now he hired uh, a lawyer or investigator to put together um to to dig into this and put together this report of the incidents and what happened and so it came now he he just released that saying that look nothing happened here is my self-funded investigation here's the data for that and that's what just came out what yesterday or something like that and of course his detractors are pointing to the fact that this investigation was self-funded, right? So they're saying right. how going to be biased. Yeah, right. How objective mm-hmm. can it be when he's the one who paid for it? He hired these lawyers. And, you know, for all we know, the lawyers might have told him to say what he said now. You know, it's mm-hmm. also possible. So in, in this, what 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 do you think, Shiva? What's your opinion of this? Um, as far as should he should he resign? Should he stand his ground? What do you What do you think? Well, Should- at, at this, well, that first statement that he made that he apologized for his actions, for him making that statement, I think he should resign because I don't think he'll be able to recover from that. Because on one, he kind of incriminated himself. 
I think he might have been looking at it like he had like he apologized as a way of saying I'm sorry now can we get over it type thing but I think you're correct she but that the way he did it didn't yeah. favors right it just it made him look guilty now he yeah. is out with the story I mean does he get the chance to explain himself or is it too late now it well it, I think at this point with the the political maybe the climate it might be too late. Because who, if he tries to say, if he says, well, he retracts that statement, and now that it's out there. Oh, he's not retracting it. He's still saying he's apologizing for his behavior. He's just saying that's not sexual assault. And he has a different version of events as the women. But, you know, honestly, if you look at both of them, it's clear that something happened that was likely inappropriate. inappropriate. I I wasn't there. I don't speculate. Just from reading all the versions of events here. I mean, there's supposed to be a certain amount of consensus here that there was a party and something was going down that shouldn't have been going down between them. Right. But at this, I think he should resign at this point because I don't think he's going to, I don't think this is going to go away. Does it change your analysis that this allegedly happened in 2015, years before he was elected? Oh, it was before he was elected. Oh, it was before before. he, oh, it was before yeah, just just so you know, for background, the way this apparently came to light was one of the women apparently moved into his district. So she was from a different part of the city, moved into his part of Queens, and according to uh-huh. her, looked up who her elected officials were, saw that this guy was her assembly member, and said, I can't believe that's that dude from that party, who blah, 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 and I'm going to come forward because I'm so outraged that this is my representative. That's her version is that how it went down? You know, I, I don't know. Oh. It is years later. Oh, well, oh, that that sheds a different light on it now. Mm. Does it? Wow. I mean, some people say it doesn't, right? And that, and that actually relates to our earlier discussion about how long are we going to hold people accountable for, for things, right? Yeah, but how long can he be held accountable in, 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 in that, say, for such... Uh, sexual assault because if he he can be held accountable for let's say what's that 2015 and that's so like how many years ago yeah the statute of limitations for criminal prosecution is over by now for this so we're not looking at a possible criminal case here this is strictly political and and we have to we have to reiterate that these are just allegations nothing's been proven right. so this has been proven. This is just allegations that have been made. There is a council member saying that he should be registered as a sex offender. As an attorney, I have to push back on that only because there has been no, and there can be no criminal conviction. So we need to be careful, I think, with our our words and what we say about these things. Obviously, these accusations, really any of these types of accusations should be taken seriously. They shouldn't be dismissed or left at, right? We need to be careful also and how we approach this. Right. But see, since he made that statement about um, he's apologizing for his behavior, that that opened the door for a lot. Oh, sure. A lot of discussion, I would say. And, you know, with the uh, like I say, the allegations, but that opened that door for those the, the uh, discussion to start around all of those uh, the, those allegations. Because you said it's two women now, two women at the same party. 
Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently one of them was very drunk and Oh. The idea is that she didn't know she couldn't have she couldn't have known what was going on and wasn't of the mind state right. where she was able to give her consent. Right. Wow. I, don't know, yeah. I don't know his state of of you know sobriety either. That uh, at that point they Say could have you, all been, you cut out. I said we don't know whether he was drunk or not either. But they could have all been drunk and, and out of control. We yeah, I, I don't think yeah. I haven't seen anything that said anything about it, but. But does that excuse the behavior? I mean, uh-uh. they've all been drunk and out of control, but then they're all responsible for their own actions, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, but I think it would be worth noting if you're going to note one, um, it's worth noting the other as well. Does that make him more culpable or less culpable if he was drunk? Uh, it still happened. I mean, if it happened, yeah, it would have still happened. And so um yeah i mean he would still be responsible i mean yeah because you could make the case that he's more responsible because he put himself in that position to be drunk and if you know if he's the type of person who gets drunk and can't control himself well he did that it's like if you drink and you get behind the wheel of the car it's not an excuse to say i killed someone Uh because i was drunk i mean you drank yourself to that level and Uh you caused that scenario to happen right yeah but I understand the idea that, well, if they're all drunk, how could you just say he took advantage of her? I mean, could you say they took advantage of each other? I guess it's also the thing that she's not in elective office, right? So the standards, like you always say, we hold people to different standards if they're in that position. So. Absolutely. I think I think it does change it a little bit if we know that, you know, this happened, allegedly happened before he was even in office, years before he was in office. This is something uh-huh. from his past. So. This, right. you know, but also the that fact that he's in office now and she is not. So we're talking about his behavior. We're not talking about hers because she's just a private citizen. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. Maybe if she was a politician also, there could be some heat on her too. I don't know. But then you also have to look at what allegedly happened and who did what to whom, right? So if right. they're mutually kissing or fooling around, that's one thing. But if he is basically adva- making advances to her and he's initiating the whole thing, then more of that culpability would be on him than uh-huh. her. They're both drunk, right? He's the one who's still doing the thing. So I think to me, at this point, there's no, there's, there's, you know, there's no proof. They're just allegations at this point. And it did take place yeah. years before. Yeah. Yeah. I think that should be brought into uh, account. Um, it's it's difficult to 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 look at that and say well yeah they should have immediately like pulled his ability to use his funds off of allegations i don't i don't think that's well, you know i, I don't think the allegations it was the allegations coupled with admitting that something happened and he's wrong that that's, right but what that statement said it all i see the statement is right. what opened the door right i when agree he said that opened the door so yeah. it starts people to thinking. Yeah. Okay. Something. Something happened, but what was it? Right. That's you know. Since right. you said the allegations, this was something the, happened. But just, what was just it? So people are clear. This was the statement. The initial statement was: "I want the public to know that I am deeply apologetic for my past behavior and acknowledge that my actions have caused great harm." That's what he said when he was first accused of sexual assault. 
Yeah, it, it sounds it sounds like he's admitting something. Like, yeah, he. I think personally, if it wasn't sexual assault, I would not have put out a statement like that. Right. Right. Yeah. Because that, also, like Shiva said, that leaves it very open. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We should also acknowledge that. So this party was in 2015, right? In 2018, now. He allegedly oh. contacted one of the women and apologized for his behavior at the party. And so that was part of the story also. Now he's saying that he did that because he was interested in her. And he realized he was being kind of a jerk that night. But he didn't, you know, he wasn't sexual assault. He was just kind of a jerk generally. And he was interested in her. So he was trying to apologize, I guess, to start over with her and get on, get on a good foot. But that became part of this as well. She's basically using this as further proof, right, that these accusations have merit. He should not have contacted her. That was yeah. He should have left it alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that, that, mm. it's messy now. It's me- it's 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 messy. It's it's kind of messy. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. It's not a good look. It's no, not, not at all. And and listen, he he could be. He could be a hundred percent, um, being truthful. Right. There was no. Um, sexual assault in in the, the the way that we're thinking, or or the way that it sounds like it's implied. Um, it could have been one of those things at a party where people are, are drinking, and you know, you 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 start getting a little bit intimate and whatnot, and maybe w- whatever was the case. I mean, it seems like that's what's being alleged here, and then you have to ask yourself, okay, where is the line, right? And I could that's what I was, yeah, to define, right? It's like okay. It's not maybe so cut and dry where one person is coming on to someone, one person is saying no. It's maybe more a case of a lot of liquor going around, people fooling around. But then later on, maybe the person says, I wasn't um, sober enough to be able to consent to whatever I did last night. Right. So I think that that leaves in a, kind of an ambiguous line on what what they're considering to be the sexual assault. How far what did it go? What was it? I mean, was there actual penetration? Was there touching? Was it just kissing? Was it whatever? What is it that's being considered sexual assault in this in this case? Yeah. Well, it seems like it's kissing with, and then you said that there was some touching involved also, or he made her touch him. Something. Like um, there was, yeah. In the article, in the article, he apparently said that, um, from his account, was that I guess they were they kissed, and then he put his her hand on his crotch. Um, but that was, that was as much as what was in the article. There wasn't really, you don't know if she was resisting that or if she wanted, she was okay with that. If she was, if that's what she wanted to maybe again, maybe after the fact that she realized that she was too drunk and she regretted it, you know, I don't, it's hard, it's hard to tell. And especially because we weren't there, we don't don't know how much they were drinking. We don't know what their own limits are when it comes to alcohol. I mean, a lot of factors that we just aren't going to know and they have different versions of events. Right. Yeah. It's uh, like like Sheba said. It's very messy. Yeah, no, it is. It's definitely a messy thing. You know, full disclosure. I have met him three times, and he was always pleasant with me. In fact, uh, Andre, if you guys know Andre, my campaign manager, was never really happy with the fact that I would be cordial with him when I saw him because he was on the other team politically. Right in primary, he was on uh, the the team Mm -hmm. uh, that was going against us, but in different districts. So he wasn't like my direct competitor or anything like that. But Mm -hmm. It was always like, hey, don't don't talk to that guy too much because you know he's, he's on the other other side here. But it was always just cordial. Hey, how you doing? Things 
things going good with the campaign, you know, could, you know that kind of thing. Um, on primary day in 2021, we shared a, a polling site because Woodhaven was the border of our districts, right? And so there was a particular school where people from both districts would go to vote, some in his district, some in mine. And so we would cross paths several times throughout the day at that polling site. And it was always cordial. Then I was seeing at the Board of Elections when we were doing the recounts, so, you know, the absentee votes. And it was same deal. You know, hey, hey, how you doing? How's it going? How's the campaign? You know, what, what are you up to? Always just very cordial. And then I saw him at a Queens County Young Democrats party last year. And again, just generally friendly conversation, nothing deep. But I can tell you that apparently I can handle spicy food better than he can. Because <laughs> I remember there was some kind of cuisine out that they had at the party. And it was some kind of Hispanic cuisine. It wasn't Mexican or like Spanish paella type. It was, it was it might have been like Central American or South American food. Remember, it's something kind of different, but good. And I was, I was eating it. Um, as we were talking, he he took some food off the table and started eating it. And he, like his whole face went red. He had like this reaction. Like I said, like he was going crazy. And I said, I said, what's the matter? I said, it's spicy. And he said, spicy. He said, your suit is spicy. This food is ugh. like he couldn't, he couldn't handle it. And then I tried it. I was, I was like, it's fine to me. So, um, um, two two things there. One, uh, um. Being he could be nice and be cordial and still have been and still have been. That's one thing. And two, what is a spicy suit? My suit was spicy. (laughs) Oh, your soup or suit? Suit. I can't imagine you wearing a spicy suit. You're like not a spicy suit guy. Like, what was it like? Spicy suit. What color was your suit that it was spicy? It was a blue suit. Maybe the tie also. I think what color tie it was, but it was you know it wasn't like a plain gray or black room. Okay. Little colorful, a little spicy. So he's basically like, you know, like th- this is way beyond spicy. This food is is like his heat, it's murderous heat. Your, <laughs> your suit, we'll call that spicy. You know? Okay, okay, okay. But um, no, I mean, like like I said, always cordial and didn't have to be that way because we were on opposing political teams. Like you see that a lot of times where it's like, even if we're not running against each other, it's like, ooh, that's that guy. We've, we've heard about him or we're against him, but we're not gonna talk to him. He wasn't that way. And, and that was always cool. But I like you said, it does, that doesn't say anything about these accusations. I'm just saying right. my own personal experience with them, which was very limited. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's it's a very difficult and, and using Sheba's term, a messy situation. Um, his uh, his uh, his apology, initial apology, the way he worded it doesn't help his case. Not at all. Uh, and he's acknowledging that now as well, right? That that was a mistake. Right. Um, you know. Whether or not he should be punished for something that hasn't been proven is another. Well, this is politics, though, right? And it's really all about perception and what people think of you. And there are often calls for people to resign. I mean, we see with George Santos too, right? Resign, 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 resign. All right, yeah, but he did that stuff. He did that stuff. All right, right. He did that stuff. What I'm saying is that that's cool, and oftentimes it is warranted. The person should resign, absolutely. But at the same time, these are also two-year terms, right? The assembly. Is a two-year okay. term, and so the question really becomes: Is he going to win re-election next year? Is someone going to run against him? Right? If he doesn't resign, it's only a year until the next primary. Is that going to really be his downfall? The election. It it could be, it could be, you know, if he if you know, I, I think it's it's going to hurt his chances in re-election. The allegations, even oh. unproven, um, 
especially if his accusers are going to go hard with with the story and keep putting it out there. And it seems like there are some political opponents that are deciding to run with the story. Um, That's going to definitely hurt hurt his campaign next time going around. Yeah. Whether it's true, whether it's true or not, it's it's going to. Right. And, and, and he, didn't, he didn't do himself any favors. So. Oh, right. And I think that's an important lesson here, right? Because mm-hmm. we don't know what the actual story is, but we can see what people's public statements are and how they handle things. And, right. you know, I think he's acknowledging himself now, even that that was not a good look. the way. He and sometimes, out. yeah, sometimes it, it's, you know, it's definitely not in your best interest to just go along to, in order to try to make it go away. I mean, think about uh, who was the was the democratic senator that was a he was a comedian and uh al franken al franken um like i don't remember what he was uh accused of but it was just allegations no 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 there was a photograph where he was posing with the woman and the woman might have been sleeping or something like that but he, he was like it was like he was touching her breast in the picture Oh, okay. He's trying to be funny in the picture, like with a funny pose, but they said that was inappropriate the way he was posing. Right. And then he went ahead and resigned because of it. But since then, there have been tons of senators and congressmen you know, who uh, have done far worse things and just haven't re- resigned. Right. You know? And post-Trump, I think we're seeing that more and more. In fact, on Twitter, more and more. even though Adila is a Democrat, you're seeing a lot of people compare his tactics to Trump also, saying, you know, oh, he thinks he can just say whatever and just, you know get away with it because he's a guy right. apparently now men in office can just do that right so crazy hopefully um you know if it if it did happen in the way that it's being accused and hopefully um you know the truth comes to light um uh, if it didn't then hopefully that comes to light because it's you know you don't want to live how under accusation it, how is something. it going to come to light though i mean this doesn't seem like a very black and white thing it seems like it has come to light to the extent that it is. I don't know. Well, someone's going to have to, someone's going to have to admit something, you know, um, whether, whether it's probably like to... surveillance footage from a house party in 2015, you know what I mean? Like that, I don't think that's out there. We would have seen it. Well, I mean, whether it's him that, that comes up and says something or, or one of the accusers that comes up and say something like they're the only ones who know um, yeah. most of the truth. But you can know? You see also the, the idea that this guy was, well, I don't know if he was drunk, but they're saying she was drunk. But if there was alcohol involved in this, and this is kind of this question about, well, when does someone become unable to consent? How is that right. ever able to be proven now? You can't right. tell blood alcohol anymore. You know what I mean? Like, it's just so many years removed. There's nothing right. you could do as far as trying to get some kind of objective answer here. I right. think just these kind of, you know, different versions of what happened. Maybe the recollections are off. Maybe they were too drunk to even know what was going on at the time. Like, you know, who knows? But right. I don't know if there's going to be a real black and white resolution to this in terms of the facts. And that's also why you can see why maybe he would want to apologize at first because he acknowledges that he did something wrong or inappropriate or he should have shouldn't have gotten himself to that level of drinking himself. Maybe he saw she was drinking, you know, like he, he realized that he did something that was not right. But how bad was it? Right. Did it rise to the level of sexual assault or was it just not cool? Like, you know, like. It's hard to, to say that when you, you're not here and you don't have all the facts. Right. Right. And and you don't know what what the uh, people are constituting uh, sexual assault. Like what what are you describing as sexual assault? In that They're case? saying the inability to consent due to being too intoxicated. Consent to mm-hmm. what is Any it? Any type a- of sexual contact. They're not saying it's rape. Right. They're saying that 
he came, he kissed her and, and I guess put her hand on his privates. Oh. And, and there were other allegations as well about him masturbating in front of her and this and that, which he also denies. He said denies completely. He denies that. Yeah. He denies. Um, and it's it's there's a lot there. Yeah. Uh, I would I would have yeah, I would have had to come out against that strongly in the beginning because um, he didn't do himself any favors. Yeah. Uh-uh. So. Well, I would like to know what people think about this. If you're watching, if you're listening. Do you think he should resign? You know, certainly to not handle the situation in the best way. Yeah. So it's been another great discussion. Thank you all for joining us. Sheba, why don't you give us the bottom line? Maybe we can tie this together because I actually found it kind of interesting. We didn't intend to do it this way, but we had two topics that do kind of tie together in terms of punishing people or what their ramifications should be uh-huh. even uh-huh. years beyond committing an act, right? Should it follow you forever? Should it pre- prevent you from contributing to society? And it's actually, you know, it's interesting, right? Because you do have a big push for this clean slate legislation where they're saying people should serve their time and be able to get uh-huh. on with their lives. But on the other hand, a lot of the same people who support that legislation are saying that Juan Ardila should never be able to hold elective office again for the rest of his life because of this incident. So can you compare the two? Well, with something like that, I would say it depends on what happens. Uh, It depends on the the crime. Uh, Whatever happened with them, I'm trying to get my words together with this. It depends on the criminal record Mm -hmm. and what might have happened in the past. I think also with this happening in terms of giving the clean slate, I think rehabilitation needs to be addressed or brought back into the prison system because some of the crimes that are committed shouldn't last a lifetime. I do agree with that. But then depending on what that crime is, I don't think it should be done. It should be a clean slate. Does the same thing apply to people seeking elective office? I think it should. I think it should. If you have abused your elective office. But what if it was before you were, like in this case, before you ever were elected, years before? Your reputation follows you. Mm. That's, and see, that's, that's, that's the thin line when you're running for public office, your reputation. Right, your reputation, but we're talking about sealing, right? We're drawing the analogy to sealing records. So let's assume that no one knew about this. The question is, should the public know about it the same way an employer or a landlord would know about it? If that's the a tough call. That, that's a tough call with that, I think. Hmm. I think that's a tough call because you know, as Jay said, you have to, you're going to, with this case, with this case here, we, let's hear, let's, let's hear these are their allegations, but the downfall to his case is that he apologized. Mm. See that his case is, 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 is different. I think when you start saying, should it be sealed? Because he, apologize publicly right right 
So what can you say to that? Should that should he have just sought counsel before he? Like we said, it did make him look guilty. And yeah, I don't think it, that was yeah. his intention. I don't think he was trying to dig himself into a deeper hole. I think he thought it was going to help him, but it right. seemed to backfire. But in terms of, in terms of uh, sealing cases and not being able to look at a person's life, it, I think it should be based on the actions that took place. Because if a person... Right. If a person stole a loaf of bread, I don't think that should be held against them. Person is hungry. What if it directly relates to their job. What if they're, I don't know, in charge of making sure loaves of bread don't get stolen from a deli? <laughs> I can forgive the person if they're hungry. If he's stealing loaves of bread, <laughs> obviously he's hungry. You know, there's some reason be right. reasoning behind something like that. Mm-hmm. But if you're starting to steal to the p- point of millions and thousands of dollars that's that causes pause so it kind of sounds like you're saying that we should know about these things and make our own judgments as to whether i think you should or not or whether they're still relevant yeah because it doesn't mean a person can never work again they just can never work in that particular field yeah. I mean, unfortunately, though, what we are seeing, you know, I don't want to spend a whole lot more time on this because we had a whole right. discussion on it, but what we are seeing is that people are having a hard time finding gainful employment with these backgrounds. So it is easy for, mm-hmm. to say, well, they just can't work at that job. But it seems like no jobs really want to hire them, which is why we had to. Oh, have okay. Yeah. And, uh, I could. Yeah. Well, then I can see it being white clean it for that. Yeah. Well, these are difficult questions, but you know, I do see the, the distinction between the criminal context and the political because when it comes to running for office, I think the public should know what mm. someone's history is and, and get to decide on their own. But you know, it is a little tricky there because what it if is. it's a criminal commission that was sealed? Sh- should the voters get to, to see that? Uh, you know, because if the voters can see it and it's public, their employer when they go when they go hire go for a job, they're damn sure gonna know about it, right? At that point. Yeah, this is yeah. Maybe it, maybe it should be unsealed if you decide to run for office. That's what I'm saying. If you if you run for office, mm-hmm. if you decide, listen, you know, they're sealed. But I want to run for office. So that that just means that those things are going to come back to light, because now I'm now I'm trying to step into an arena where I'm going to be representing thousands or millions of people. Right. And mm-hmm. so you know that that information is going to be put out there. So maybe there's a caveat there. Like they're sealed okay. if you're going about your life. But if you try to step into public office like that then, you know, they can be reopened. Right. But then if you were to lose or if you were to win and at some point leave public office, you might have a hard time. I guess if you were successful in office, maybe that might overcome your prior reputation. But, you know, let's say you're not in politics anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Then what? Yeah. Yeah, You're that you're that you're that felon politician, aren't you? Yeah. (laughs) Yep. It's it's difficult one. Yeah. So yeah, leave leave us comments on yeah. on on the video. Leave us comments on the discussion and give us your thoughts. Let us know what you think about uh, how that could play out. Different ways it could play out or should play out um, yeah. on either YouTube, Instagram at Nuance Show, and uh, check us out. There you go. Thank you all for joining us. As always, we've got work to do. We'll catch you next time.